Why, hello and welcome. Welcome to the Peer Pressure Podcast. I am Diane, sometimes known as Diane Kamikaze, and I am your host. The reason why I do this podcast is because I like to say I am a champion of heavy music. I've always found my favorite songs since I was a young kid had riffs, hooks, were either metal, hardcore, hard rock, or punk, or something fairly aggressive in attitude and sound. And I am all about appreciating the people that keep that world going, whether they're musicians, webmasters, other podcasters, record label and festival owners. It's important to me to recognize what these people do in that realm of music. So, I am here to bring them to you in a different context, more than a Wikipedia entry or a press release, a little more personal and a lot more fun. I'm a rocker for life, and I hope these episodes do make a difference. Send me feedback at diane at wfmu.org, and my Facebook page is Diane Kamikaze Farris, Rocker for Life. Like my page there, and I will keep everybody updated on podcast episodes in that space. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned. Welcome. My guest today is Travis Stever. He is a member of Coheed and Cambria and Davenport Cabinet. This show was originally aired July 3rd, 2014. He's got a great fun playlist, a lot of really good stories. And we'll go to him now. So that leads me to, of course, my guest today. Travis Stever, are you there? Yes. He is here. My guest today is Travis Stever. Welcome. Hello. Hey, can you speak up a little bit? Absolutely. I, I don't know if I could turn the volume up on this. No, I think you're good now. Your handheld cellular. As long, that, yeah. as, long as you're attentive and speaking into it. I am I here. <laughs> I am attentive. I am ready. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have my ADD at bay, I hope. Oh, well, you know, I hope not, actually. Oh, yeah, no, it's I even know. More well, fun I'll, I'll try and uh, <laughs> I'll try to utilize it in the best ways possible. That's perfect. We're on the same page then. <laughs> so, <laughs> you could stop the rambling whenever you need, as you've experienced before. Exactly. Oh, and, so. and that's one of the most lovable things about you, Travis. Well, thank you. <laughs> so you are here to tell the story of your life through music, are you not? Yeah, I figure that's the best way to do it for now. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I had like these eclectic mixes made up and to try and make me look cool. Oh, and show off. This and that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really just going to play kind of how things developed for me and how I was able to be in such an awesome band like Coheed and Cambria and then how I, you know, came to, you know, have my own other music projects. You know, just kind of talk about that. But, it, but in general, just to, to you know, tell my story of how I fell in love with music in the first place. Oh, that's perfect. So, And I, have, I guess it's a very usual way in the sense that I grew up with two parents that were in music. Um, well, that's actually know. fairly unusual, I would say. But please tell us. Well, I, yeah, I, I guess it depends, you know, because um, I know a lot of people that, that that's how it came about for them. And I also know a lot of people that they had, like, parents that were just music fans or, you know. But for me personally, they were both you know, like knee deep in it, because um, mm. they met 
on an off-Broadway production of Jesus Christ Superstar. My mom. Really? Yeah, and they and they actually traveled, and um, were they in the production? Yeah, my uh, my dad was uh, Harrod, right? Oh my the, God. the flamboyant <laughs> that's so dude. Awesome. That's, um, that's which, the if you met my dad, song. you'd be amazed by that. But my mom was actually Mary. Oh my goodness, you're kidding! No. Oh. Um, so I mean, the way that it kind of went for for them was, you know, first off, they didn't particularly belong together, so it didn't, you know, that that wasn't the way that turned out, but um, my mom kind of decided that the music thing wasn't, you know, the way she wanted to go. Mm-hmm. But my dad, you know, the dream still lives on, <laughs> and which I wouldn't change that for a thing, because that's what created me and, and my love for it, you know. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. So, so, I mean, that was why the first song I actually picked was when I was born, he was in a band. I was born in 78. When he was, he was in a band for years, my first years of my life, called Public Enemy. So Which is obviously, yeah, awesome. Public Enemy that came later, <laughs> yes. quite different than what you're going to sort hear. of eclipsed the the original Public oh, Enemy. Oh, absolutely, we'll yes. But um, <laughs> but they have a very intriguing story. The band. Now, my dad went on to be many other things. Like he he made a lot of amazing folk music and country music. But this was kind of almost like, you know, I guess in a way like almost hair metal mixed with like southern rock kind of. You know, I, I don't know how to really describe it. It's a rock and roll band, but. They had quite a story behind them, man. They were managed by by a uh, big pin that uh, actually sold substances that we should not speak of. Oh, I and see. That's, and he funded their first, you know, their, their demoing and got all these people interested in the band. And really, it was all relying on this guy who had, you know, he was carrying the golden egg, mm-hmm. you know, and he got busted. Oh, really? <laughs> so, So, you know, not that Public Enemy couldn't have, you know, went on, but, you know, I think that they all started to have other interests, you know, and and my dad definitely went knee-deep into the whole country thing Mm -hmm. pretty soon after. So it was kind of, you know, a weird transition, like in the mid-'80s, you know, he kind of left behind the heavier rock kind of thing, and then... And then, you know, he's gone back and forth. I mean, my dad's been all over the place, and he still is a great writer, but this is just kind of to show this is what was in my ear as a kid. Now, I usually would pick a song that's like, you know, um, his own, but Mm -hmm. unfortunately I'm going to pick a cover that the band did because it also has uh, another piece of history, uh, which is Gary Hohenberger, who plays the harmonica on this song, is Rory Hohenberger, who's a really great friend of Claudio, Claudio Sanchez, for anybody who doesn't know, who's the singer-guitar player, songwriter of Coheed, Mm -hmm. that he was, you know, the the actual guy who played harp on it, and, you know, their friendship is what created the friendship of Rory and I, um, and made it so that Claudio and I were even introduced, because Rory knew Claudio before. Wow. And, um, And also another tidbit, Rory played on the early Davenport Cabinet albums. He, you know, we played, we played together in bands with Claudio back when we were younger, too. Um, you know, Rory lives in L.A. right now, but we're anxiously awaiting him to move back to New York. Uh-huh. But uh, this song is a cover of Johnny Cash, Folsom Prison Boogie, and uh, his dad plays the harmonica all over that. Is that a good introduction to the song, or I think shall I? I think that that's a fabulous introduction. I just wanted to know, so when you were really little, were there, like, what was lullaby in your house? This was a lullaby. Really? 
<laughs> I mean, my dad had written a song, like, he wrote, like, really beautiful, like, lullaby songs, don't get me wrong, but if you asked me to, to play music that first shaped me as a kid, it's this stuff, because mm. I heard him recording it, I heard him playing it, I was mm. around rehearsals, I was around all this stuff, and I remember my mom didn't want me around half this stuff, because, you know, there wasn't the most, uh... PC things going on around, if that's the way to put it. He definitely was living the rock life, and that continued on for for many years in my life, and, you know, I, I wouldn't change that for a thing either. I mean, it's like I got to see the best and worst sides of those things way before I was even involved in music, you know? That's so interesting, though, to really to have, and we'll play the, the Public Enemy song in just a second, but to, that you were raised immersed in music, but not typical of what music children hear. I, I did get to, like I said, he would play like lullabies and stuff. He had a song that he wrote specifically. Well, actually, he wrote it for somebody else first, to, just to call it like it is. But then he changed it, and, it, you know, he, he made the song so it said, you know, my name and this wow. and that. But, but uh, it was a beautiful song. So that song stands on its own. We could save that for another radio program, and that would be like, All right. like you know, one in the morning when we're trying to put people to sleep. But <laughs> okay. th- that, that, that is the, the sweet side of the man, and right now you're going to get, like, the, uh, the cursed rocker that, that, my mom, <laughs> that my mom didn't want coming around. Or she did, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, so no, exactly. I mean, they didn't. They weren't. Uh, there's a certain. He, he was trying to be the the rock life, and my mom kind of floated the other direction. And but this is what this is what music. I mean, my mom inspired me musically too by the things she listened to on the radio and her singing and just singing around the house. But this is like you know, it's there's something that comes different when you actually have somebody who's creating it. Like my father was, he continued to create it. And my mom would be the first one to say that. Like, you know, she would be the first one to say, well, the inspiration of, for you to create anything musically still came from your father. I, I just feel happy I was able to give you good musical taste, you know. <laughs> but my dad just kept creating on and on. Yeah. I mean, gave me my first Porta 3, Tascam Porta 3 to record with, you know. That's why he gets the first play. All right. All right, so we're going to go to the Folsom Prison Boogie. This is by Public Enemy. Uh, featuring Travis's dad. And yeah, it's on vocals, of course. Of course. <laughs> and uh, Just because, I mean, we've been describing it this long, I should, if he was the guitar player or the bass player or something, I should have been talking about that more. But just to be clear, he's the singer. So. Very good. So we'll hear that. And uh, my guest is Travis Stever, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Stay tuned.
Ta-da! Booyah! Public Enemy, Folsom Prison Boogie. Travis Stever. Yeah, I tried to tell my father to listen because I was like, you know, I have a surprise for you, but he didn't even get to listen. But I guess I'll try and show him online if yeah. I can show him how to utilize those things, which I try and teach him every time. Yeah, the but archive you'll be able to listen to. The archive goes up. It'll probably be up by like five, yeah, I'll just five, record two. it for him or something. But but mm-hmm. yeah, so that's the craziness that uh, that I was brought into the world to. I love that. I mean, it's just it's it's unique, and just the fact that your father actually wrote lullabies. I mean, you know. I mean, I know that that wasn't like a, a thing that he always did, right? But just that, that you had a, a custom lullaby. Oh, yeah, you know? totally. I mean, I believe me, I felt lucky, kid, to be able to have that. I mean, music in general, I think that they've just proved it more and more throughout the years. And now they have, like, music together and stuff like that. It's like, you know, even discussing it with Claudio and them having their baby. I mean, they, you know, you try and incorporate it as much as possible because, you know, it really does help the development. And it really... You know, I, I fall off every few days because I try and play him some music, whether it be me playing something like a stupid song I wrote or, or even just playing something nice. It's funny, though. Sometimes I'll be, like, listening to I was just listening to a friend's band who sent me something, and they're really heavy, and it was just a lot of screaming and stuff, and I'm, like, listening to it on the phone while I'm feeding him a bottle. <laughs> and I'm like, so this is how it, how it begins. You know what I mean? It's like right. that's why probably the sounds of, of Public Enemy and all the crazy songs that they wrote, you know, like when I listen to them, I go back into a, a whole, like, other world, probably because somehow in my subconscious that was just there all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and like a lot of that music. And even the stuff my mom had. I mean, when my mom was driving the car around and listening to the radio or had the tape player go and listen to Christopher Cross sailing, I mean, that stuff will, you know, bring me back to this nostalgic, crazy world, too. And, and it's like, it all means something. They bought me records when I was a kid. But, I mean, the next song I'm going to play is, like, because, like, eventually you start choosing to buy your own stuff, to experiment with other things. My parents, the music that they listened to growing up, I mean, I, I feel lucky because I actually returned to more of the stuff they listened to, uh, especially the classic rock end, probably through my father and even my mother. But, oh, especially my mother. We'll get into that on the next song after this. But... You know, the song that I'm going to pick right now is, is because my first album that I bought on my own going into a flea market with my mom was Somewhere in Time by Iron Maiden because the cover just was so awesome. And I knew kids <laughs> in school that liked them. I mean, I, I must have only been in, like, second grade. But there were older kids because, you know, you're in first grade to sixth grade, and they all had Iron Maiden shirts, and you're intrigued by the art and stuff like that. And, and I hadn't had brothers or sisters yet. I had stepbrothers and sisters later. But mm-hmm. they had just come into my life, like second grade, third grade. And, and I remember I was at a flea market with my stepbrother and, and uh, my stepsister, and I got somewhere in time, and I was so excited. I loved the cover. And then I got home, and I'm listening to it, and I'm, like, really getting into it. And my stepbrother just said, you know, people just worship Satan to this all the time. And I had this, like, whole thing, <laughs> especially that year where, like, the devil and Satan, I had heard a story where a kid left the number of the beast by his bed, and the devil came himself and told him to kill his mom. And it scared me, like, to death, you know? Mm. Like, so it was like one of those things where, where I was just getting over that. <laughs> As a little kid, I was just getting over that, and my stepbrother was just like, well, yeah, my friend knows somebody else. You know, it's always the friend who knows somebody else. Of course. Who lived down the street from somebody, and they were listening to this record, and they were doing a seance, and they all died in the house because it burnt down. 
because, you know. So I love this record at first, but what I had to do was take that record off the record player, put it back in its little sleeve, and put it in my mom's collection, and then a few months later came back to it, and it was like a few months later I was ready to be full-fledged into that world. It was like I'm not scared anymore, so, you know? So you were but, like, if that's what that means... I'm down with it. Yeah, well, it it had to take a minute because I had to get over all that fear, you know. Well, second grade, I mean. That's yeah, that's well, a... I'd say it was probably about the end of third grade, so I'm giving okay. myself a little too, it, I, I think it was more than a few months. I'm not going to make myself. So I think that, like, you know, by the end of third grade and then into fourth grade, I was, I, I think by the end of fourth grade or right beginning of fifth grade, maybe Appetite for Destruction had come out and stuff like that. And so those those records started to, like, you know, become my life you know i started to love you know that and then i think like at the end of fifth grade maybe motley crew dr feelgood came out and so it started to be that kind of stuff you know i'm not going to lie i'm going to tell you exactly what i was listening to as a kid and those were definitely some albums that that came about but this that this song is by iron maiden but this record that it's from it's one of my favorite songs by them and the record it's from Seventh Son, we actually went and, and did the tour that they had done, uh, which they made Made in England out of. When Coheed got to go open for them, it was like a dream come true for Claudio and I and, and the whole band, but I mean just specifically because we had grown up on that. And, you know, that whole backstory with the album has a little bit more, too, because Seventh Son, um, though that was my first album, I remember Seventh Son going back to, a, to Rory Hohenberg and his brother, Gary Hohenberger, had that album and i love that cover maybe it was the blue blue's my favorite color but you know like just that whole like frozen world with eddie and uh whatever it's supposed to be like the north pole or whatever but like with the blue behind it and right and it just you know i started to love that album probably just just the same as somewhere in time i mean that that says something for the art like that's something that got lost in the world of music today for a lot of kids it's like we had the art to just get like hypnotized by and like be like what is this what does this mean and it made us want to listen to the music hmm. so this is the evil that men do is the song that i want to play because it really i don't know it's just one of my favorite maiden songs and it's a good way to can i just ask you um how, was yeah there... i told you stop me if i got i told you i go on like crazy <laughs> so. um in terms of touring with them uh what was your like personal experiences Personal experience, um, you know, basically was that every night I got to see a show that I would have wanted to pay for. <laughs> mm. And I think that, you know, everybody else, especially Claudio, felt the same way. I mean, I, and, and it was like just an honor to be on a stage with dudes like that, you know, like who I've seen play a bunch of times anyway. And who, I mean, they actually were really, really nice to us, too. I mean, a lot of people feel like they have to say that if they've toured with a band, but they were. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. they, were, they were extra nice. I mean, it's not, it's a, it's a big machine, you know? Of so course. it's not like every night we were going to each other's dressing rooms and hanging out or something, you right. know? Mm -hmm. We only saw the dudes every once in a while. Actually, Steve Harris stopped by the most and was extra nice. He got to talk to Claudio a few times about things, you know? It was cool. It was really cool. I Childhood dream, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. that's the best way to describe it. And the next song is going to be the same thing. You just said, like, oh, Steve Harris would stop by... Like, I, I like, believe you know. me. I have to pinch myself <laughs> that I even said it. Yeah. But, you know, it was it was really cool. It was really cool. I mean, I could go in 
into even more, but I mean, we got a whole show here. But it, it definitely was a, a childhood dream come true in the you know first off, and second off, it was just like it felt like a success as a band for Coheed because you know we'd go out there and we didn't exactly go to the most welcoming ears and eyes every I can, night. I can imagine, yes. I think that we won a lot of them over. Even if we didn't, I don't think that they could deny that we were a band that loved what we were doing, were happy what we were doing, and did it well. So And was touring with Iron Maiden. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's kind of yeah. also like that. Like, nah, 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 they picked us, <laughs> you know, screw you. So. No, 100%, you're right. So it's like, yeah. But, um, oh, of course, there's always that. Gotta love that. I mean, mm -hmm. you don't want to show too much of that, but it's... Or you do. I mean, whatever. If somebody's like giving you the middle finger of the whole show it's like really you're gonna waste your time doing that yeah it's definitely uh an experience that that i never thought could ever happen in my life and i and i think i speak for the other dudes that it's like and i'm not saying that's the end all say all because i i'm you know coheed's still going strong with it and so you never know but, you never uh, know definitely was something that i never would have expected ever happened to look back on that now it's like your 10 10 year old must have shivers like what do you mean i'm on stage the same i know stage. i wanted that, that i wanted like you know specifically even even the 20 or 21 i remember when when uh our good friend pat sayers and and claudio and i went to see when bruce dickinson first came back to the band for Brave New World. Mm. And none of us had really been listening to Maiden as much anymore, you know? Like, even since we were little kids, probably not as much into them. I mean, I can't speak for the other dudes. I know Claudio definitely loved them, probably more than me. So it's like, you know, he, he, was, he was, you know, ecstatic at that show, and so was I, and it was an amazing time. So here we are, like, ten years later, or more, and boom, we're on stage with them. That's insane. Yes, yes. So if we could go back to those morons at Madison Square Garden for the Brave New World tour. Maybe we could talk to them and just be like, hey, you're, you're going to be up there before these guys. <laughs> what do you think about that? Yeah. Wow, really? Really piss our pants. <laughs> so um, the next song then is The Evil That Men Do from yeah. Iron Maiden. My guest is Travis Stever. Please stay tuned.
bow. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> <ending>. <laughs> it's the quintessential wow, wow. So, um, that was that's probably my favorite Maiden song. Funny enough, you've got those deep roots there. Yeah, you know, I that's guess. one of those things. Probably that I know songs come to me that I grew up with that like it's like wow I you know know the words and know every bit of uh, for me Deep Purple Machine Head is kind of that record oh that's cool and, and I didn't realize until I went to go see them a number of years ago it might have been like eight or ten years ago now but they played all the Machine Head from start to finish and I realized then that I knew the words to every single song on the record. That's cool. Because <laughs> they just played it straight through, and I was like, you know, singing, 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 singing. I was like, wow, I do know all the words. Like, oh, yeah, it's just one of those things. I'm sure which you is, have that with the Iron Maiden. Which is makes a concert, like, the best. Like, that's, that's what I think is, like, the best for, you know, any concert that I've ever been a part of or played, for, for that matter. I mean, like, you know, we're about to do... Um, Coheed's about to do the album in Keeping Secrets, which is our second record. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just, I can't, I can't, like, say enough how, how much I'm looking forward to, to seeing the audience. Like, because I know that those, those people are going to be singing every word. They're going to know everything. You know, that's, no, that, that's nothing against going out and playing, like, stuff from a new record. I mean, because you watch people develop a relationship with it in that. But... Going out and playing a record that you know people love and that they're just going to be there to, like, you know, to join in. It's just there's nothing that can replace that. And being in the audience for that, yes. for that matter. I mean, like, just a couple of months ago, um, a bunch of us went and saw Black Sabbath, you know, do the whole thing. And, I mean, as much as I would have wanted, you know, Bill Ward to be behind the kit, you know, I, I still couldn't help but really want to, you know, go see it. Just of because, course. you know, having Ozzy front it. For better or worse, it was, you know, and it turned out it was for better. You know, we had a blast. It was it was really cool, but it, it's a good example. I mean, they probably played three or four songs from that 13 album, but that didn't affect the fact that every other song was just like word for word, all of us knew it. Yeah. You know, and we were singing every bit of it. And, and that's a much wider um, space, obviously, in an arena and stuff, but it's really cool when it's in like a place that holds a thousand or two thousand. You just feel the energy of everybody. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. You've got, so. like, all these backup singers. Oh, yeah, man. It's awesome. Speaking of, of the same kind of thing, like, you know, and, and speaking of, you know, your favorite records and, and being able to, you know, be a part of those shows, you know, the next song I was going to pick, and I have a couple of backstories for this and a couple of stories of the tour we did. Yes. But what, is Black Sabbath. Um, and, you know, well, they were called Heaven and Hell at the time, but we got to go play with them and... And we got to go do a tour yet again, another like you know childhood dream. That lift. yeah, and that, uh, I mean, I'm speechless. Right? It's like, oh my god. Well, what, I mean, what is I, that there like? was there was a lot. You know, it's like those are the two bands that they have like these stories for me personally, and I know stories for Claudio, and it, it's like you know one of one of my stories actually fits in with the Maiden one because I went and put somewhere in time in the, my mother's record collection. And one of the records that I would always pull out and stare at was, was Sabbath, you know, the original self-titled album because of the, the witch-kind-of-looking lady on it. Yeah. And my mom had that. And my mom, of all people, was like the one out of the two of my parents that she was a fan of Black Sabbath. She saw them, one of their first American tours, saw them at a festival. 
Well. And she loved the music. And that's why she had that record. She went out and bought it. And, you know, we're talking like, you know, early to mid-80s, like that record sitting there and all it became to me was something for me to look at to scare the, you know, the <laughs> hell out of myself. And once so, I went and got somewhere in time back out of that collection, you, you best believe I pulled that witch out with it. Yeah, you know, yeah. and you were brave so, enough. So hand in hand, those two records, you know, came into my life, and and it was like, you know, Sabbath was the originator, and and at the same time, of course, Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and stuff like that were getting into my life as a kid, but you know, I just I I just remember first getting to hear like I I of course got to hear that record through my mom. And then I went and got We Sold Our Souls for Rock and Roll, because that's the way you start. It's like the collection, exactly. yep. you know? Mm-hmm. So I went out and got the collection, and that's where I truly just like fell in love with it. And then you start buying all the albums on their own. And, um, you know, Heaven and Hell, of course, was, was the Dio-fronted uh, band, and it was all Dio-era music. But the truth of the matter is, is, I didn't know as much of the Dio stuff when I was a kid. I fell more in love with, I mean, I knew his solo stuff more than I knew the Sabbath stuff because, you know, like, like a lot of kids, you kind of were like, oh, it's not Ozzy anymore, you know. But, right. But I fell in love with that more later, you mm-hmm. know, and I realized how awesome that was later. And then you also realized the longevity of the pipes on Dio. Yes. And just what that guy could do. Yeah, and he could how incredible home. it was. So, um, I have numerous stories for the whole Sabbath, Sabbath thing. You have I mean, to I at have, least give uh, us a couple. You know, uh, I have a couple that are even embarrassing, but I, I probably save that one and just go with the fact uh, I'll embarrass. Well, it's not even embarrassing for him, but one of the most awesome things that happened on that tour was at the end of the tour, Tony Iommi came in and he was hanging out and. He, like, he came in with a beer, and he's extra nice dude. He came in, they had given us a bottle of champagne, and we were all sitting there drinking. And we're just shooting, we're just shooting the... Uh, breeze? The breeze, there we go, mm-hmm. about, um, you know, about all the, the different things that Sabbath has done throughout the years and asking dumb, childish questions, or at least I was, you know, just like, you know, being fanboy. And... Uh, and I think that we're talking about, like, Rick Wakeman playing piano on Sabra Cadabra. Mm. And all, all, out of the blue, all you, all you hear is Claudio go, Tony, you smell incredible. What kind of <laughs> cologne do you use? And dude just turns around, and I do a terrible British voice, and he goes, oh, it's 007. <laughs> and it's just like forever we've talked about how <laughs> hilarious that was. Just hilarious that that's the first thing that, you know, Claude comes up with. And, and it's just like... It's like matter of fact, like, oh, yes, thank you. It's <laughs> 007. Now we know. And, uh, and the best part is, is like, uh, I don't know when, who sent it or when it got sent a couple of weeks before the, we went and saw the Sabbath show, but somebody sent a picture of the 007 cologne. It was probably Claudio because he's the one who asked him. And it just said, we're going to be smelling this from, from our seats. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was surreal, man, because mm. it's like here we are talking to this dude about like how he recorded like these songs that we loved growing up, and uh, and we could also ask him what kind of cologne he uses. Well, and it's not even songs that you loved growing up. It's like like the world. I know. Like the, I, mean, I know. Like I, such an important band. And the song that I actually picked 
to like um to listen to um obviously Dio era uh from the album Heaven and Hell which is Die Young which is actually you know there's a couple of songs that I really love from the album Heaven and Hell Die Young was actually Claudio's favorite mm. um and then like you know just having him play it over and over again I just like really really fell in love with the song you know especially the intro I mean it's just this epic like you know the soloing at the beginning and so every night we'd go out and we would watch them you know and that song would come up and you just we just became kids you know hmm. so it's like this song just like i could i could just like taste the the summer breeze like from the nights where we would just go out there to watch them do their thing wow. you know and uh so yeah so now i shut up and if you want to ask me anything i um, well, you know, we do have a, a, a question from a listener, and it is a tour-related question. So okay. it's it's sort of two-pronged. One is, uh, what's the f- your favorite band that took Coheed out on tour? And then what it, what ended up being a favorite band of yours that you guys took out on tour? Okay. Well, it's really tough because, you know, we're talking about two bands that, you know... Um, two bands that we grew up with and that we loved and i i could say it would be maiden or it would be heaven and hell sabbath mm-hmm. but i mean i you I don't can't have leave to, out that, have that in the early days of coed and cambrian there's going to be a song that's going to be coming you know a couple of songs later or I, I don't know mm-hmm. songs later that are that are going to be from another band that were very important in in us even developing which was hot water music you know and I mean, they're from all different avenues because Coheed is a is a very wide variety of music going on, or musical taste and influence going on within the band. And so, you know, we we explore every avenue. And when we were younger, they didn't know where to fit us, so they put us with a lot of different bands. But I remember, I remember when we first started and being in the van, when we first went out with Hot Water Music and Thrice. Mm. Those were those continue to be in my mind two of the most um you know they were they were the most influential back then and the most looking for the right word the most um inspiring probably as cliche as that is to me in my mind from that early age as a kid and i wish they were even more i wish i learned more because the dudes like really you know knew how to do it i I guess the fact that we have the longevity that we do and still being around, I guess that we know something. I was going to say you did learn something. Yeah, but know. those guys really—they really inspired us. And you know, even Thrice, you know, I don't have any of their music on this list, but I remember they used to help us out a lot, even when they had a van and we had a lot of van troubles when we were touring with them. They would let us, one of us, stay in their van for the night. Our van was very tight too because we had uh, our good friend Kwame was the merch guy and he was a very large man giant Andre the giant style and then the rest of us were were not mice you know <laughs> so to have one of us out of the van for the night to travel was really helpful and then whoever was in their van could get a little more rest so sorry to go on about that but they were just it was it was just such a huge thing it's like nice things like that when you're on the road with people mm-hmm. like they, they mean all the difference in the world they make it so you can keep going and sustain when it's a really tough thing in those early days of touring like waking up in a van, not showered for a few days. Like when somebody helps you out like that, you, you can't, I can't even describe how much it helps. So, 
I would have to say, I know you're asking for one band, but I'd say those two bands, from memory, I feel like are, are two of the most important in the early days of Coheed. So the early days, to me, make still what we are now. So I, I always have trouble with giving one answer. Mm-hmm. Apologize to that person who asked for the favorite band, asking me to be like, dude, bro, this was the most awesome. And I'm, I had to ask, answer it that way because that's really how I feel. There's, there's no rules here. And if that's how you feel, then that is a completely valid answer. Those two bands were really important back then. And there was a lot of other bands. I mean, there was a lot of other bands that really did a lot for us. And I, I'd like to think we did a lot for, for quite a few bands, too, you know? I'm um, sure you did, especially if you grew up with, the like, the hot water music ethic, touring ethic. Because yeah. those guys just, there is never any taking from them. I know them all really fairly well and saw them many, many, many times. And... and their personalities it wasn't even like oh yeah we're we need food we need gas money like there was never any concern about themselves it was always outward and everything just got paid back to them you know no, it's like they always succeeded for whatever reason but their attitude on the road is just amazing i know and i i think that 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 helped us in development mm-hmm. too and that's why i probably even mentioned them because sure. that helped us in development seeing the way that they worked that early on. Yep. And and it was just like, okay, let's take some tips from some pros. Right, you know they're the saying? perfect example. Yeah, and I think that the Thrice was doing the same thing, but they had already developed some of their own, um, you know, road ethic, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I think that we need to di- we need to disorganize this list a little bit, Diane, because we May- discussed them so much. That's okay. We're gonna have to play a hot water song now, and we'll go back to the Sabbath song after. Okay. But um, we can do we can play them back. But to I back. have a funny story about that too. That like you know, when we were first touring with them, I remember like being, you know, you're like kind of timid when you're with a band that like, you don't even, you know, know who you're dealing with yet, and you're you're following them on the road, and I just remember one day we we're all following in the van, and uh, and I and it was Chuck Reagan. He, <laughs> I, I they got out of. They all got out of the van, and um, they actually had a uh, this girl who did merch for them named Erin, who was a really sweet girl. And I remember her getting out and saying, well, Chuck's going on and on. He's all pissed off because he's hungry. And I would have to change the, the, the exact that he said. But yeah. <laughs> I just remember him getting out of the van, and he said, I'm about to put my, I guess I have to say penis here, penis on a stick, mm. and cook it up because I'm so goddamn hungry. Wow. And I just said, all right, you know what? We don't have to really worry about how we are around these two. <laughs> it's okay. So that was, that was like so, an introduction for you to them. Yeah, well, oh. that was like, it was like show three or four, but I mean, just like feeling like, all right, these dudes are, they're just going to act how they want to act in front of us, and we do the same, you know? Mm-hmm. And should have picked up on that right away anyway, but a little bit of, the little bit of, social anxiety I can feel sometimes you know you you look for your kind of in the you know something to make you feel more comfortable and for some reason in my stupid mind that made me more comfortable <laughs> so it was just like oh okay he's crazy too so um so yeah let's play a song from the tour this is from the tour that we did with them oh and, great. Uh, from the album caution it's the song I was on a mountain okay very good. My guest is Travis Stever, and we've got some hot water music coming up next. Do stay tuned.
You played for us, Black Sabbath. Thank you so much, Travis. No problem. Yes. Uh, And uh, before that, hot water music, of course. So let's see. I do have some questions from listeners. Um, Somebody wants to know if there's any TV shows that you're obsessed with. Uh, I was watching... um we just got done with the second season. My wife and I have Orange is the New Black on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, so that took up a minute. Like, you know, I mean, we have a, we have a, a baby that's <laughs> five months as of Tuesday. So wow. um, when we do watch TV, you know, shows can be broken up a little bit. Yes. By feedings and, and uh, you know, and stuff like that. But when we, when we do sit down and, and watch something, we tend to get involved in series and... Uh, that was the last one we got involved in, and we haven't gotten to anything new. But I'm open to suggestions. Ah, okay. Um, you know, I, I was looking to possibly get into Mad Men because I've been suggested so long, but I just tried. You know, the first couple episodes, and not that it didn't. It's not that it didn't hook me. It's just I wasn't. I wasn't in in the mode to get hooked by anything when I would watch those episodes. So you were not. I, I got to try again. You were not hookable. No, no, I've. My ADD was in a different direction. Ah. It was in full throttle at that time, I remember. when, I, And it was before the baby and before it was like a year ago. But I was just, I think I was like, ah, you know, I have an idea. I'm going to go up and play guitar and record or, you know. And then I came back, oh, let's try and watch that again. I have an idea. I think I'm going to go outside and just not able to really <laughs> center in on it. But there's those shows that just catch you that you can't deny. Uh, for a while there, uh, we had uh, Game of Thrones on and, and I really did. I love that. I mean, I have friends that had a problem with this last season. As far as I know, I, friend, you know, who you know very well, Tisha, um, yes. Tom Farkas, who plays bass in uh, Davenport Cabinet's wife, Tisha, is actually uh, somebody who read all of Game of Thrones. She says it pretty much sticks to the, uh, to the text, if you will. Oh, good. What's going on. And there's a lot of people that are, like, frustrated, and it's like, well, you know, I mean... They definitely add more um, human body parts than, than they probably need to most of the time, but I don't really care about that. I mean, the violence <laughs> and all that stuff is, hey, you know what? In this day and age, it's just everything is, is to the max, and well, they know that, true. and that's how they're getting a lot of viewers. So. Yeah. 
I mean, sometimes it's a little uncomfortable, like a rape scene in front of oh. a dead son. Not uh, hopefully that's not a spoiler, but you know, I mean, I, I I've I've actually uh, had less time in front of the TV, more time in front of. Um, I call it RC TV because our our son's name is Rory Charles. So oh. try and watch more RC TV than regular TV. I still fall victim because ever since I was a kid, I'm a TV head. That's that's what I do. But the uh, the wife has gotten a little uh, little up my backside about the fact that the baby seems to to constantly try and watch TV when I'm watching it, or when she's watching it too. So she's mm. like, "We have to turn it off. You can't watch the TV." But um, that's interesting to note. All these studies that they they had done, you know, thinking that linking early television watching with with infants and babies to, you know, autism stuff, but I think it's been debunked. I don't think it's something that's real, but I mean... Well, but you have the, you have the music end also. There's all the positive stuff about bringing up babies with music that I know you are providing. Yeah, I'm doing so. that as much as possible, yeah. and sometimes probably more than I should be, mm. you know, like, because there's been a lot of times where I've tried to put off a finishing, you know, guitar line or something like that with him just in the corner, and, and I'm just, like, trying, like, line him up with as many toys as possible, just, like... <laughs> Let Daddy just finish this last riff. <laughs> that's so but, um, cute. <laughs> sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But mm. that's the game, you know. Mm. I signed up to be in the game. You so. did, and which leads me to another question from a listener, which is, how awesome is it going through fatherhood alongside your bandmate? You know what? That's brand new, and I couldn't be happier. And he actually just, you know, moved back up closer to the area where we're in, and it's like. I just I just see it as as us being able to really go through this thing together. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's cool because I know the beginning is the most uh, the most magical, but yet the most like it's like the most precious moments, and yes. like you just want to be in every bit of it. So I try not to be too annoying to them and be like, "Oh, how's it going today?" You know, but <laughs> you, you kind of want to be yeah. because you know how it is and you know how it was going through it. Right. And I'm still going through it. It's still those moments now. But, I mean, now I'm on to, like, teething and all that stuff. And and so, you know, he's not the happiest camper all the time. But when he is, I mean, it's awesome. Like, you know, the whole world stops around me, and it's just, it's just his smile. My guest is Travis Stever, and you are here to be a guest DJ, uh, generating the story of your life through music, which is a pretty awesome... Uh pretty awesome way to to spend a couple of hours so what did you want to uh, introduce next and what do you want to say about well it? i guess the next song was going to be a neil young song because that like is a very at an early time in my life um not that my father didn't listen to some of his music when i was growing up and my mother did too but it didn't it, i found it myself funny enough because i remember i started going through all the records that my uncle tom close there's actually tom close is the father of um Tyler, who who sings and plays, he also sings and plays guitar in Davenport. Oh, Canada. right. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's my uncle um, had all his record collection in in the basement there, and I was probably like twelve years old. Um, I was that old, but I, you know, I I had a record player at home, which um, for that time it still made sense to have, you know, to get records to listen to because there was that time period. Obviously, you know, Diane. I mean, they were just records now they're back yes. sort of but I, I started collecting records again a few years ago and i have a huge collection again but even back then when i was 12 i was like well i want to get records because they sound this good and, and early on i had only records you know it was one mm-hmm. this process so i got some of my records back 
because they were all in my basement. And then I started to get records again, so I was very interested in looking through my uncle's records. And I found a lot of classic rock, a lot of really cool stuff. But, you know, never had I really listened to Neil Young's music. To me, it was just always like, oh, it's like it's like country, you know, or, or whatever. But, but um, I mean, I, I the first two albums that I got were, you know, Harvest was was the one, and then I got Decade, which is like a collection of all his songs. And just like with Sabbath, you know, something in it, I just fell in love with his music and... This was one of my favorite songs as like a 12-year-old. I don't know why, but it was um, you know, it was my first my first introduction into to my, you know, love affair with. I've seen I've seen Neil Young play probably uh 6 or 7 times in my life. Oh wow. Um, the first concert, like really big concert I saw was Neil Young with Booker T and the MGs. Huh. And it was Soundgarden and Blind Melon opening. It was an incredible show. And so I'm going to play uh, a song called Words Between the Lines of Age from Harvest. All right. Very good. I think we'll just go straight to that. Okay. Travis. We got more than enough tunes still left. That's why we certainly we're getting do. anxious here. Oh, <laughs> you're anxious? We're getting halfway through, only. Do you want to get through the tunes or do you want to talk more? No, no. I want to have fun. Don't get me wrong. But okay. I, I don't right. want to take up too much of the time. Oh. Okay. Got it. So here we go. The next song is uh, Words Between the Lines of Age. Neil Young. Woo! Stay tuned.
Yes. No. <laughs> Woo! Wasn't that interesting? That was awesome. <laughs> Sorry, Travis. Travis didn't, okay. didn't actually plan that 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 scream. Yeah, that was like that, that was supposed to be there. But if you, yes, it was exa exactly. Yeah, you could put that on the playlist. Loud scream. <laughs> that was the beginning of some song, but I got to cut it off pretty quickly. So, my guest is Travis Stever. We were back, and uh, he's guest DJing. So we just heard from Neil Young and uh, Dinosaur Jr. What about the Dinosaur Jr., Travis? Well, that track was called Raisins. It's from, um, it's from You're Living All Over Me, which, um, which kind of was like the album that was the soundtrack of a lot of like my early high school years. You know, I, I first heard of Dinosaur Jr. when I was probably like 13 or 14 and I actually um I was at my friend Rory's and I and I saw the um whatever's cool with me tape with the bulldog on it and I you know we listened to that and I wasn't the most impressed with that but then like a few months later I had seen the video um for I know you're out there was the song from uh, where you been and he's like playing in the snow the whole band's playing in the snow <laughs> like in the mountains and I was hooked by that song and actually um borrowed where you've been from I, uh, I believe claudio had it and i borrowed it from him and that just became like this album that i listened to endlessly and then i went back and listened to like the early stuff and you're living all over me being there like well not their first record they had a record that was just self-titled dinosaur but then the next album was um you're living all over me and i just completely you know just was engulfed i, I just nothing else mattered i listened to that album all the time and it and you know to others it may have been quite dated because it was like 1985 it came out and here i am it was like you know 92 93 whatever it was and um probably earlier than that and it was like my favorite record right but it made me go back and listen to a lot of the sst bands like i had already listened for my stepbrothers as i had mentioned before and i didn't really elaborate but my stepbrothers you know that i had that I had gained, and when I say gained, because they gave me a lot, as in music, too, because they listened to a lot of punk, and uh, more punk than anything else. Um, the metal side came from friends. Mm. But the, the punk side that they gave me, when I went back and started listening to stuff on SST and like a, and examining a lot of that stuff, I started to realize that a lot of the bands that they had been trying to push on me earlier were part of that. And which is funny because Dinosaur Jr. was like the odd man out of a lot of that. They were more classic rock metal based bands, but it made me fall in love with a lot of the other bands again, especially the Minutemen. That was like, and oh. I don't have one of their songs to play right now. Hmm. I was, I had one, but I knew it would be too much. You know, I fell in love with the Minutemen and then Firehose and stuff like that. But you know, there was a lot of classic punk bands were on. I mean, of course, Black Flag and stuff like that. And Though I didn't listen to as much Black Flag, there were so many other bands to choose from that era of SST. Which is funny, That's, that was my first introduction to getting into an independent label 
and following bands that were on that independent label, you know? Even though SST might not have even existed anymore by that time. just made me want to go and listen to who had been on it. Right. Um, I think they did still exist. They existed for a few more years after that. And it also made me fall in love with uh, one of my favorite bands, Sebado, because Lou Barlow, you know, now he's back in the band, but was the, you know, the bass player, and he also sang some songs in the early incarnation of Dinosaur Jr. So it was like, it automatically led me to Sebado, which has become one of my favorite bands ever, and they just released a new record. And I also wanted to put one of those songs, but with time. That's okay. So, but that's my little tidbit on Dinosaur Jr. and a lot of that music. Funny enough, I mean, like, you know, for my guitar playing, I mean, it's like we listened to Neil Young, and then we listened to, to Jay Maskis' playing, and for me personally, you know, like, some would just say a little bit on the sloppier side, and, and I don't mean that in in an insult because that's what I love about it. It's it's more spontaneous. Like sometimes you listen to a lot of their playing. When you take Jay Mascus, he's a little bit more on the um not a virtuoso by any means, but a little bit more advanced guitar playing wise than possibly Neil Young in the soloing department. But at the same time I feel like they have a very similar approach. So maybe that's what I'm in love with, you know, is that kind of that style of playing. You know, other guitar players that have inspired me that I've even played with, I mean, primarily Claudio. I mean, I know that, you know, he, he was a big Jay Maskis fan, too, you know. So it's like, it's an important part of my life, Dinosaur Jr. And I've seen them a lot <laughs> throughout the years. So where else to go now? If you have another question, maybe we should, we should take it on. I've got a couple that might be able to be one-word answers, perhaps. Cool. Quick, like, uh, favorite beers. Favorite what? Beer. Beer. Wow, I thought about that, and I was like, what? somebody asked me that. I, I, I really like the Abita um, Purple Haze, actually. It's girly beer, I suppose it could be, but... That's okay. All right, and then... It's not uh, girly anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and then a, a song that you wish you wrote. A song I wish that I wrote. I mean, somebody would say, like, I wish I wrote Let It Be, because I'd be you know, really rich. But then again, no, because Paul McCartney doesn't even own his publishing Right, right. But, uh... But what would you say? I, no, I'm trying to think of it. I wouldn't want to answer that way, because I would want to write a song, you know, that I that I really love, So, and it doesn't even have to be on this list. So maybe That's I wish I wrote Achilles' Last Stand by Led Zeppelin. Wow. <laughs> That's what I wish I wrote. Nice, nice. You know, I was reading the uh, the wiki entry for Coheed and Cambria, and it talks about some of your earlier stuff. And there's one line that says uh, that that band broke up after an argument about gas money. Oh, uh, totally. Just, yeah. Well, it, I, just, I think that's the best way, way to describe it. But, I mm-hmm. mean, we were kids. Right, um, yeah. And that's probably the band Beautiful Losers. Yes, I mean, it is. So many, yeah. and yeah. There were so many, I, I, the second time I've used the word incarnation, there were so many different incarnations of, of, of the band not the band, because nothing... Coed and Cambria is what Coed and Cambria is, you know? And yes, there have been member changes, but the band is is now obviously being the strongest lineup. And I don't have to say that. I really feel that way. But, um, you know, we we became Coed and Cambria when the four original members got together in um, in in the basement that we did. And that was, you know, Josh... Mike, Claudio, and I. And from then on, that was Coed and Cambria. So a lot of people relate the band to, you know, bands that were before that. Though they're all really, you know, important in the development of Coheed, it's not 
it's not coheed. You know what I mean? Like yes. Claudio and I were in numerous bands together when we were kids, but they're not. That doesn't mean it's an early incarnation of Coheed and Cambria. You right. know, they were completely different. Right. I mean, for myself, I just really love the description. Yeah, of yeah. Well, it's totally true, though. An argument against just, just to get to the bottom of that, I mean, we were young kids. We weren't practicing enough. Um, there was complaint about having to come back and forth because a couple of the band members from from Woodstock, New York. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and uh, I believe what happened with that was is that. The band broke up because of the gas money, but I think they got back together without me. And I don't say that as woe as me. I'm over it, baby, but that's how it went down. <laughs> but uh, actually, we had broken up, and then we were going to have Rory play drums again. It was such a dramatic scene. He was going to play drums again. He decided when we were first about to get together and practice that he just didn't want to do it anymore. So that didn't happen. And then it was like, well, let's get the band back together, but, you know, not with me. And so that was... That was, I think, Beautiful Loser was what it was called. I think you're right. And and I just, for me, it's not about actually what happened. No, but I it's know. The it's description just a description of they because, broke up over gas money. Well, because, well, it's totally true. Yeah, but but that also, you know, a lot of times when you're, I mean, because you are in the, uh, in the spotlight under the microscope more than a, a lot of average people, let's say. And, and it's like, but that line is so like, oh, right, they must have been kids. Like there's like well, it, it, no, well, mean, it allows for gas money was a major issue even when we, <laughs> we were in our early twenties. Yeah, I but, mean, but it. But al- I mean, we it, were yeah. when when Coheed first started going out. Uh, you know, I mean, the first little tour we did. You know, we had our friend Pat Sayers like kind of tour managing, sort of the Angel of Death. We called him. I mean, it was just a hilarious. Um, you know, a crapshoot going out there. We just went out there to try it, and we played in basements with five people, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we just went, you know, I think that it was only, like, to the Midwest, if that, and back. And, you know, and, and the gas money was a major issue. Yeah. But we made it. We made it home, you know, with a few hundred bucks to spare, I think. And we put that right back in the band account. And, and then we, you know, we got the bug, and we planned on going back out hard. You know, and um, but gas money, yeah, we didn't we didn't come from uh, from a world where it was just like you know, all right, well we got the dough, let's just go out and hit the road. It was right. like, all right, we're taking our chance here. Mm-hmm. You know, like let's see what happens. Right, right. Yeah, I got, no, I, love I had some money laid away that helped me to be able to get a car, and I, you know, I got my associate's degree at Rockland Community College. And the whole reason I was able to pay for that is because I got hit by a car when I was 15, oh. and I got a settlement out of it. Wow. So it's like, you know, if, if it wasn't for that, I would have just had loans for everything, and I probably not, wouldn't have been able to even give my, my little, uh, you know, gas, gas amount that I gave to, to do the touring in the beginning and, and to go up to, you know, um, Ulster County and do shows all the time. I mean, in the beginning, we'd just go up to, like, Woodstock, do a bunch of shows, go to Connecticut. It was like, just start small, and then we'd start going out further and further. And I mean, we did it the smartest that we could, you Mm -hmm. know, and in some ways it was like baby steps, you know. Of course, you just got In order to get out there on the road. But you know what? This makes, all this talk about this makes me want to play... Um, a Coheed song, actually, because that that was part of this, and I don't know if I'm going out of order now, but... It doesn't matter. What do you want? Yeah, I mean, uh, we're doing our album In Keeping Secrets, and and that still reminds me of the early days, you know, because In Keeping was before, 
you know, a couple of the songs became more popular, it, it was just like, you know, we were we were still just a band of brothers going out to try and try and take what we felt like should be ours. You know what I'm saying? Like that we sh- that we need to go out and show what we can do and um and and then not that the hunger is not in every album but i think in keeping like there's just that sense of of young hunger all through the album and this song that i want to play is i think actually is literally the first song that we recorded for the album and i think it was one of the first songs that claudio wrote for the album Hmm. and it was called cuts marked and what's funny about this song is like when we were recording this song it was not on the heels, like it wasn't right after the whole 9-11 thing, but I don't know if, I'm sure you do remember actually, because you're in this area, we were constantly dealing with fear, like for a year after yes. that, like, mm-hmm. and, and the whole uh, country was, and all over the world was, but I mean, especially being in New York and where that happened, you know, it was just all this, all these rumors, like, you know, there's anthrax all over the place, there's this and that. And we were recording in Woodstock, New York, like, so it felt like the safe place, you know, because you're further upstate. But we'd be watching stuff, and every day, like, it would go from orange to red to, you know, I mean, the threat levels were just going up and down. And, and I remember, like, the chorus Claudio had for this song, merely the simple thing of saying, in a world that's going to end pretty soon, which is, like, you know, part of it, I just remember it really hit close to home like the whole theme of the song the lyrics he had and um and just musically it 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 felt like you know it just it really uh had mattered at that time and uh funny enough that's that's how i always feel about when you're when you're like recording something and you feel like it really matters for what's going on you're like this should come out now of course we Mm. recorded that song it didn't come out for a year you know right right yes it's topical you know in my mind it's like I feel like that with everything I do. You know, the new Davenport stuff we're recording, I'm like, oh, man, this is perfect for right now. If it gets released later, nobody's going to care. It doesn't matter. The truth of the matter is, is I still think it mattered, and it still has turned into, out to be one of my favorite songs from this record. You know, funny enough, I don't think it's like a favorite for a lot of our hardcore fans, but I think they love it. It definitely sticks out to me. I mean, even musically, I mean, I was a song that I was proud of guitar-wise. I mean, proud of everybody. I mean, even the chorus. I mean, the chorus, the lead guitar part, I think that Claudio already had that lead guitar part. Maybe I changed it slightly, but it was just so perfect for the chorus. And the rest of the guitars, I was just like, you know, I was kind of experimenting and getting into my own world with that, too. And and just like the whole band in general, I, I you know, it's like a song that, that kind of shaped what we were going to be for In Keeping Secrets, because it was one of the first tunes that we recorded, along with the song In Keeping Secrets. I mean, the song In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3, we had been playing that for, we played that the whole tour, you mm-hmm. know, that we did um, even before our first album was out. So oh. we had that song forever. So, not that I'm putting my foot in my mouth, I think we recorded those two songs together. And so, yeah, I want to play that song. And that's what we're going to hear then. My guest is Travis Stever. Cuts marked. Coheed and Cambria, stay tuned. Should I spend 
right. A little bit of yeah. right coalition there. Yeah, man. Those are local. Well, you know, I'm I'm in New York now, but I grew up in Jersey too, and that's that's local New Jersey music. Mm-hmm. Jersey City, but you know, that's the center of all the Jersey. Yes. Um. Yeah. I mean, I I actually got turned on to them. I had mentioned him before, but our good friend Pat Sayers, who actually you've met a couple of times through mm-hmm. Tom, you know, he was showing me uh, the Lipstick Game album. It was the first one that I actually heard and kind of fell in love with that record. And funny enough, that was like kind of a different lineup of the band at that time. And I went and saw them at Brownies, and I totally loved it. <laughs> I just remember, you know, the whole band going nuts and Ralph being in the middle of the crowd and singing specifically that song, singing the Lipstick Game part to everybody. and. Mm. So saw a lot of amazing uh, bands at Brownies. That was one of the best. So yeah, I I, I had to get them in there. Um, unfortunately, as we had discussed, we're we're going to push along here because we're running out of a little bit of time. We but um, I want to play a song by a Coheed family member and a very very influential musician, not only to us but to a lot of people. But uh, this uh, this is a band called Goat Snake, yes. which has a a Mr. Pete Stahl, yes. who actually has tour-managed Coheed for years. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, he's been our tour manager for, for years now, but beyond that, he also works for the management company that we've had, and Pete's just been a, a huge part of, of the Coheed machine and operation. And But beyond that, I mean, being involved with Pete has 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 made me realize like how much that dude has done musically. I mean, yes, he's the singer of Scream and yes. the singer of Goat Singer. But I mean, that guy, you know, there's a, another band that I wanted to like play some of their stuff called Earthlings. I had to choose this one because it's a song I really love. Let's just go for it. But yeah, I mean, you know, we love Pete. He's been incredible. Uh, I have a million stories about Pete. Well, I'll, I'll invite you on again. Yeah, we'll and have we'll, to do we'll this. Have to we'll do have to do a, part do a continuation two. where I can elaborate. We kind of just went with the early days. So now we're... Right. Going to push through to the le- to the latter day. To the more but, mature uh, days. No more. Uh, Easy greasy is the you know the name of this tune, and it's it's one of my favorite Goat Snake songs. He's got a wonderful voice, so let's check it out. Some oh, uh, yeah. Goat Snake.
Travis. Yeah. <laughs> I was just whispering over that last bit of the song there. So. Oh, and I ruined it. No, you didn't. I ruined it was the mood. Kind of, no, I ruined I s- the, the mood. No. Like, little did they know that behind the scenes, behind the curtain, you and I are chatting between these songs, so I didn't know if I was back on air yet. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so that's why I did not stick with the vibe there. That's okay. That is quite all right. So um, tell us a little bit about Sleepy Sun. And I do have to mention that Goat Snake, um, I had the wrong song. That was Prayer for a Dying. Awesome song anyway. It was <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, as it, as it started, I was like, ah, I should have chose this one anyway. But, um... <laughs> You know, the whole al- that whole album, you know, all the albums, that's, uh, you know, the best. Uh, Sleepy Sun is a band that I've gotten into the past few years. Um, I kind of found through being a fan of that band, Black Mountain, and um, kind of was suggested to me. Um, I don't even know if it was suggested to me by a person. I think that it just, like, you know, could even have been I bought the last, uh, that Wild Hearts album by Black Mountain, um, and it was suggested on iTunes or something. This is the first Sleepy Sun album, and I think they did they did shows with Black Mountain, and they did possibly did some shows with Mastodon and stuff like that, and you know bands that I that I like and respect, and and I kind of like got that first record which I really liked, but this new record Maui Tears, which that song is from, mm-hmm. I really love. So that's like you know a band hopefully see more and more of. You know, I guess we're coming to the end of this. I'm gonna close this show off with some more selfless promotion. That's quite all right. So you have another band. I'll say it. The band is called Davenport Cabinet. Davenport Cabinet, and we're and the the record is called Damned Renegades. I mean, it was it, it started as a lone venture years ago, Davenport Cabinet, and um, eventually my cousin Tyler, who's a, an incredible singer, songwriter, guitar player as well, uh, joined me, and we you know kind of started collaborating and. Now, you know, we're a full band, as you know, of yes. course. Uh, yes, yes. Tom Farkas on bass, who's a good friend of mine from throughout the years and a good friend of yours. And we have a drummer named Mike Hickey, who, you know, actually was a local drummer in the area who played with a lot of bands. And um, I was a fan of what he had been doing. So basically, we all started collaborating. And um, we released an EP as a band last year called Risks and Magic. But this new record is just takes it to new levels. We couldn't be more excited. We're over the moon about how it came out, and I just want to play a new song from it to end all this. Debut. Um, it's a debut song. Yeah, it's never Excellent. been heard. Song's called "Everyone's Surrounding." It's a tune that we're all really proud of. This tune actually, um, I had guitar riffs all worked out. I sent them over to Tyler, and he was really, really excited about the the ideas, and and he you know wrote some vocal melodies and lyrics and. The rest of the band got involved, and it just turned into this is pretty much the first full song that we finished. And you know, I mean, we we couldn't be more excited about all the the songs on the album. But because this song was the first one and it came out so strong, I figured that's the one I'd play. Excellent. I am going to cut you off because I want to put yeah, the whole man, song in. Yeah, man. Thank you, Diane, so much. This thank awesome. you, and thank you, thank you for just giving us a peek into your world. You know. Yeah. I've, and uh, you know, I love you your taste. If you don't shut me up, I, could, I You know, if, if people don't shut me up, I'll keep giving them peeks. So All right. Uh, maybe I'll come back and give more peeks. I think you have might them. have to. All right. So Travis Stever shutting up Davenport Cabinet, last song <laughs> of the show. Folks, stay tuned for WFMU.
And that concludes another podcast episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. More on the way. I am Diane Kamikaze. Check my Twitter and my Instagram. Handle is one word, Diane Kamikaze. Kamikaze ends with an E. On Facebook, you can find me as Diane Kamikaze Farris, Rocker for Life and Making a Difference. The full link to my uh, index of shows and podcasts is can be found on wfmu.org slash playlists slash DK. Those are, that's a capital D and a capital K. I'm going to be working on encore presentations, and I've got years of interviews and podcasts. So if there's something that you'd like to see reposted that you missed, please get in touch. Send me email, diane at wfmu.org. And be sure to subscribe to the show. And if you like it, please rate it and review it. Wow. WFMU. Peer pressure. Thank you. See you next time.